We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us today is Nate Weiss, individual coach at Stuttgart. Incredible journey. College player in the US, pro player in Europe, now working with top players in the Bundesliga. Phenomenal insight into player development and also how to coach technique at the highest level. Coaches, you will love this one. Please let us know your thoughts at Modern Soccer Coach on Instagram, at MSC Education on Twitter. Also, quick note, the new MSC book detail is out now. Lessons and takeaways from me from all these interviews on the podcast, webinars over the past three years. And then also, and this is what I think is really, really important, where all these interviews and lessons and perspectives and takeaways, where they belong when you're working in day-to-day soccer. So I share my journey, experiences, lessons, and all in a number of areas of the game, development, data, science, psychology, training, tactics, management, social media. Loved putting this together. If you enjoy the podcast, you're going to love the book. Please go ahead, support what we're doing. ModernSoccerCoach.com slash shop. Get your copy. Really appreciate everyone who's gone out there and got it already and posted it on social media and just helped what we're doing. Thank you so much. Here is Nate. Enjoy. Nate, thank you so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Super, super excited to have you on. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me too. Like I said, uh, follow you guys for a really long time and uh it's just an honor for me to be here sitting there talking to you i've watched a lot of your podcasts and uh now it's just a surreal experience to be sitting here and talking to you so it's cool man thanks i appreciate it no no not at all not so i appreciate the kind words your journey nc state as a player yeah and getting to stuttgart as a as an individual coach how does that happen yeah um so I was at, I was at NC State and uh, you know like the, the normal college route I I knew I wanted to be a coach I knew I wanted to to, to play and be involved in football I've been involved in football since I'm six years old I've been uh, you know taught by by another individual coach from England who uh, took me under his wing when I was a little kid I knew the goals that I had I want knew what I wanted to do I, I always wanted to work in the area that I'm working in now in football and making players better and stuff like that. And then I was in I was in college, and you just have this feeling, hey, the path that I'm going on right now is not really the path that I envisioned. And um, I got an opportunity to to go to Spain uh, for a trial. And when I was there, I just saw everything lined up, and you know, I just I had uh, the the farm club from from Mallorca offered me a, a a very a very minimal contract for playing for the for the youth team, and. Uh, just so happens that like one of the coaches was like, yeah, and if you want to do some coaching, you can earn a little bit more money on the side. And it was just like, for me, okay, this is a sign. Let's just go for it. And uh, yeah, and then I, I was in Spain for a year and then I played and did coaching on the side while I was playing. And 
Then I had the chance to go to to go to Ireland and and I took that with with a similar similar circumstance where I was also then helping out with the under 19s at Longford Town when I was there. And I, I enjoyed it so much that I was just like, you know what? I realized that I'm not going to be able to play at a level where I'm going to make a million, you know, million euros a month or something like that. I always wanted to go into coaching. I use this as my uh, vehicle to get me into coaching and to just gain some experience. And like I said, I did that, you know, every seven for seven years, every single year I went to a different country. Um, and uh, basically when you're a player, uh, you always get these little emails. Would you be interested in this and this and this? And I just basically said yes to everything. <laughs> and uh that was how i just found my way and uh what i find interesting is that it's very difficult as an american to let's just say like i said i was working in and i was playing in sweden and also coaching there as well it's difficult as an american to go over to sweden and to a youth club and be like hey i want to work here they're gonna be you know it's just not gonna happen but if you're playing it's much more easier to say hey uh i'd like to you know coach the under 13s as an assistant or something like that. They're, then they're delighted to have you on board. So that's the, that's the, the route I went. And I'm really glad I did that because uh, yeah, it forms what I'm doing now today. And like I said, uh, we can touch further on what happened when I got to Germany and everything like that. Um, I'm pretty sure people might find that interesting because a lot of coaches I know would like to get to Europe and, 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 and um, stabilize themselves. But that's basically just how it started, man. It was just the thirst for knowledge and to try to uh, improve myself. Fascinating, fascinating. Um, I read that that you were given or, or got hold of some Dutch coaching books when you were younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I read your questions, by the way, and and right. it's really really cool to know that I read all the questions and I know that you know you did your due diligence um, with the questions, and I really do appreciate that. And one of the questions you had was about like um, some of the stuff that I post or some of the stuff that has been posted about me is a lot of with this intricate passing drills. Mm. And that basically answers the question for itself. Um, I, I would like to say that I'm uh, an expert in two parts of my field where I'm, I, I'd say I'm really good at what I do, but there's two parts of my field where I would say I'm an expert and I don't care what anybody else says. Um, I've devoted too much time into it and one of them is uh passing exercises in any form w w if you want to put them with with you know um with pressure without pressure whatever whatever subject you want and the reason i feel like i'm an expert in that is because i've started working on this kind of stuff since at 10 years old <laughs> i think i've been looking at dutch uh iax training books since i'm since i'm 10 years old um, I'm 34 years old now. So, I mean, I, that's a lot of experience just making passing exercises. And um, yeah, this was one of the gifts that my, my, my brother gave me when I was a little kid. He knew I was obsessed with football and he just picked out a book and it happened to be a, a, a Ajax Dutch uh, passing, passing drills book or something like that. And uh, yeah, I just started making passing exercises when I was sitting there in school, man. I couldn't, I can't even explain why. It was just one of those things that I was uh, really into, and uh, had all the videos from IX and from from that time. And so a lot of the stuff I do now has has phases of IX in it. Talk about your designing process for those there. Then, yeah. Um, well, it comes down to it, like. I try to train the players when it comes down to passing yeah, passing for me is an important thing. Uh, through my time working in Bundesliga first, first division and stuff like that. And also in different countries that I've been in, 
basically it comes down to it. If you can't pass, you can't play. Um, you could be a dribbler, but if you have zero passing quality, it's probably going to be difficult for you to play at the highest level. Um, at the highest level, it just is one of those things where it just becomes, it's uh, self-explanatory that a player can pass the ball perfectly. I mean, if you watch now how football looks, you see Chelsea playing is a perfect example, uh, which everybody would know. There are no passes that are bouncing anywhere. Um, now, when it comes down to having a player have the perfect technique to make a pass, uh, you can just sit there and have two players passing in front of each other. And, uh, you know, that's not going to be very interesting and you're not going to be able to get a good, very good motivation. So you've got to think like, and what I try to do is take little situations um, and try to minimize them where it will be like one or two different kind of pass combinations that could happen in a game. So then I'll take those, those combinations and I'll be like, okay, what can I do around this then to, 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 to either, you know, have the whole team involved or to have six or seven players involved. But it usually comes down from like one or two different kind of actions. So it'll be like a, like a, like a touch look open kind of thing. That's, I go like really, really down to, to the basics. So it's for me, a player needs to have the ability to make a touch, to look, and then to react and make a movement. So it's basically just coming around that. So I'm looking at a position, let's say a, a, a number six playing in front of the box. He's receiving a ball from uh, his center back. He's touching, he's looking, he's opening up. Where's his next touch going? So I look at that. So he's going to make a touch, look, open up, show his front foot, and the first touch is going to go forward. And then the passing exercise will just start, and I'll build it all around that. Um if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The, the work is so clean. Like the stuff that you post, I, I I watch a lot of it and I'm like, oh, it's just so smooth. One of the things that I need to set straight and I, I, I'm, I'm glad I can do that here is, is I'm actually, I'm clueless about social media. I have no idea how, how honestly, how TikTok, Instagram, you know how all of this started with all of the Instagram stuff is that I record every single session that I do. And that's one of the one of the reasons that I think I've I've been able to progress and get better myself is that I record every single session with a GoPro and I watch every single session in real time. Again, the same day. I make it part of my routine. Even if I have to stay up until two o'clock in the morning, I do it. I do that because I can see the mistakes that the players make. I can see what they're doing good. I can see what po what points I made that were good. Um, what points I made that afterwards the players did it better. What points I made where afterwards there was no improvement. Um, and this is really how you can optimize your stuff. And what I started doing is uh, if there's like a 10 second clip or a 15 second clip where it just looks really good, I'm already on the computer. I'm just like, all right, take that out. Boop, and I just post it on social media and that's it. I'm done. Um, and that's really how it started. And uh, yeah, it just, it just grew from there. And then I realized that there were coaches that were contacting me saying, hey, uh, I appreciate the, the exercise you do. Um, I'm able to, you know, do a few of those in the, in the warm up process of, of, of training. It helps me out a lot. And then I was like, wow, you know what? Like if people actually, if it helps somebody with their daily work, that's, you know, that's even more of a motivation to do it. And uh, yeah, so that's how, that's how that process uh, evolved. I, I figured it would be a good opportunity to explain that. But you know, what's funny is that that's why it's probably great content. Well, the, the quality of one, but also why I love it, why I love watching your videos is that when some people post training session videos there and there's a drill. They're, they're, do, they're doing it so it looks cool. And But they're yeah. also doing it on their phone and they're also yeah. watching, like talking when they're doing it. I cringe yeah. when I hear, 
get it going. Yeah, keep that ball moving. Do that. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, for, for you, but like, it's not realistic. It's not realistic. Not you realistic. can tell that they're doing it because they want to make a good video. Mm. You're in the middle of yours. You're playing all the time. Yeah, yeah, no, because it's just GoPro. But 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 that's the thing. It's I didn't. I, the GoPro is not there because it's like for Instagram content. The GoPro is there because it's like we're just trying to you know um, look at how the session. Well, I'm just trying to look how the session's going. And if something you know interesting that uh, interesting comes out of it, then I'll, I, then I just put it up there. But I'm also a little bit proud of the the, the content because it's not like. You, you see some of the guys, some people post some stuff and you see it's just literally to get likes and just to um, show that how cool the exercise is or something like that. I'm literally just trying to show first touch, the clean passing stuff and uh, just make the basics sexy again, I guess, because that's what basically that's the foundation of a player's development, I think. Mm. Well, what's the what's the German culture? I mean, you've obviously you're, you're aware of sometimes the, the basics do get lost. Sometimes coaches yeah. have to in America. They have to do the glamorous exercise sometimes. Yeah. Is is it in German culture that they that they can focus and concentrate a lot more? You know the the, the it's interesting, uh, and that's an interesting subject because the Germans they do it right, but they're not doing it as well as they could. Um, I think that when it comes down to just like it, 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 what aspect are you actually talking about? Are you talking about player development? Are you talking about the structure of a session? Type of passing activity, say a passing. Yeah. Word? it's different man because there's i think germany falls into a, a similar predicament with united states in that aspect that um they're trying to make it too complicated than it actually is and that's one of those things at the end of the day the ball's round the ball needs to go into the goal the other team has to you know keep the keep this team from scoring the goal and it's basically all it is and what I find in Germany is that there's a lot of coaches that do it right, but there are tons of coaches that they just, I'm not saying they're getting it wrong because there is no wrong. You know, if you develop a player and it works, then it's great. Um, but there is the, 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 the problem of, hey, this is too easy, so we shouldn't be doing it. Um, and, and that's, I try to, you know, take advantage of that niche where, you know, I have no problem, you know, doing the the basics because nobody else wants to do it. And, and the example I'm trying to make is that in, in, in a lot of different clubs, they have this thing where it's like, you know, you don't want to have isolated technical exercises. And that's, uh, um, that's the subject that you come across quite often. And, um, you know, isolated technical exercises it's it's basic yeah it's it's not sexy it's not something that you know everybody wants to say okay we're 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 you know we're 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 giving bringing our players on another level cognitively it's also 100% like game there's pressure in the situation they have to make decisions you know the um but uh, at the end of the day they're your tools and for me it's most important to have the the the, the to, have, to have a player be perfect technically and to be able to um, have a passing exercise work perfectly that they can, you know, pass properly with a perfect weight of the pass um, with both feet. And those are for me the most important things. And I feel like that gets lost in translation uh, in, in, in America from what I see and also in Germany in, in, in some points. If that makes sense, I'm... I'm 100%. It, it almost seems, and I've said this for a while, like it seems to me in, in, in some youth stuff that I, that I observe, yeah, it seems that we've actually gone from one extreme that we're now doing a lot of rondo activities, but like, yeah, yeah. yeah. the kids are standing around as well. The kids are disengaging yeah. from that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, what one of the things that I, that I see is, uh, you, you you see like a trend, yeah, and you see that people hang on to the trend because 
it, it's it's what's in and they don't know why right and the the thing that bothered me the most was the rondos yeah uh, people saw Pep Guardiola did a, started doing rondos. So then, and then it came to it because you 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 hear what goes on in La Masia, and they say you know um, that's the foundation of the players' development in Barcelona is the rondos. Okay, so everybody starts doing rondos. Then it comes down to it. Okay, we shouldn't be doing packs and exercises because all the all the good touches you want to get into a game are on rondos. Okay, first of all, the rondos that they play in Barcelona are different from the rondos that people are playing in the United States. And probably people who are playing in Germany. Uh, with the run, I've seen, I've been to 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 La Masia. I've seen the rundos that they have, and these players are moving around like crazy. Yeah, there is, you know, it's it doesn't look like a rundo that we we've ever seen before. And when they talk about rundos, it, 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 the quality is already there. They they're able. You you can't just take a player with without perfect technical ability and say, hey, I'm going to throw him into a rundo. He's going to get good. You have to first sharpen it up and then bring him into the rondo. And then he's going to be able to actually enjoy the exercise and get a benefit out of it. And that's where I feel like we get lost in translation translation when it comes down to this uh, training under pressure and without pressure and things like that. Where you, you can't just take a player who, who, like I said, he can't play a pass with his left foot properly. Let's throw him into a rondo. He's going to learn that way. He's going to then learn bad habits. And um yeah, that's 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 the trend that I've that I've seen, and it, it is quite kind of worrying because it's also you, like I said, it's a trend. It's one of those things like you you know you, you see other coaches do it, so it's sh- it, it's good because other coaches are doing it because Guardiola does it. Guardiola doesn't have the same kind of players at Barcelona that um, you know I don't know the 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 coach at uh, you know NC State has. <laughs> so it, it's just it, one thing has has nothing to do with the other. My in my opinion from what I've seen in the past. Speaking of trends, then individual yeah. coaches, they're, they're starting to come more into the game today and we're seeing quite a few in the in the English game and I, yeah. I keep up with that there. What, what's the German uh, in the German league? Are they, are they pretty prevalent or what's your, uh, what's your take on that? It, it depends. That's my take on it. It depends. Um, the, the, the subject of the, my job at Stuttgart is, is I'm called, it's, I couldn't really translate it. It's called like um, the head of individualization. Basically um, it's in charge of like the individual side of the player's development. So um, it is getting quite more popular in Germany, but it's more becoming more popular because they see that, you know, to make money in the transfer market, you need to develop individual players. And that needs to be the, the, um, the focus on it. It's becoming more prevalent as well because, uh, especially in Germany, they're good at developing good teams, but again, they're not developing really good individuals. And you can see that from the um, from the transfer market, how it works. The transfer market never lies. Um, I did a presentation for DFB uh, a few months ago with this this table in, in there where, uh, you know, what was it? The, the, the All of the players in the history of football that have been transferred for over 70 million euros think there are around 48 of them and I want to say one of them was German and it was Kai Harvards. I think it might have been T- Timo Werner might be a little bit close might be on the bottom but basically there was only one German and there were basically all Port- there were either Portuguese French Brazilian or Spanish so then it comes down to it okay what what, is, what, what are they doing wrong 
because that's a troubling number to see because, you know, Germany uh, produces, you know, really good teams, but we, they don't really have that player. If you think about it now, going back on it, which German player could you think of that was really this, you know, 100 million euro signing? The German, the, Germany doesn't really have an Mbappé. Germany doesn't really have like a, um, a Jao Felix or something like that. And uh, yeah, so that's why they're putting a little bit more focus on that individual aspect of developing players because in the transfer market, it, it definitely makes sense. It's also, I see more of it in the professional um, area rather than in the youth because it's more in the professional area. Clubs uh, have def have identified the ability to save money by um, recruiting players that are fast and probably not technically gifted and then just training them technically because that costs less money than buying a player who's technically gifted and uh, is extremely fast. So that's you know, the, the background of that, if, if they have it in the individual, the individual coaches in the youth, they do as well, but, uh, it's not as prevalent as you would say, like in this, this age group where it's like 17, 18, 19, trying to make players turn, uh, turn to the first team. We're sort of talking about the, the majority of work that we see of, of you, yeah. the technical work, yeah. what, what else are you doing around the, the technical? And one of the things I do is, is, is working with the player, to try to find his proper positioning, to find his orientation and things like mm -hmm. that. These are, these are pretty important, but when it comes down to tactics and individual tactics, this is one of those things that you do touch on, but it goes hand in hand with the technical aspects of what a player has. The only thing I don't work on a player with is his physical um, ability. Cause you have a, uh, you know, a million other people that are more qualified to work with a player on his um, physical development than me. Uh, but, you know, really, they're all hand in hand when it comes down to technical and tactical um, uh, movements and things like that. What, you know, you, I work with players also on defending and things like that. This is one of the things I also like to do when it comes, because that's also a very important part about the individual development of a player that he has the, the, the basics down when it comes down to defending, um, you know, the little tricks that he has when, you know, when it comes down to one-on-ones, when it comes down to winning headers and things like that. So th this also goes down into it, but that's also for me technique, you know, the, the ability to defend for me is also technique. Um, so that's why I try to say that basically all I do is, is to try to improve the player's technical ability, because like I said, you know, shooting is technique, defending is technique, making a tackle is technique. It's all, it's all a technique. And that's why football is all good because it is a, a technical thing. Um, but when, when we're talking about like, um, you know, what else do you do when you want to go deeper into the technical stuff, for example, uh, the coach from the second team, cause I work a lot with the second team. Cause this is where like, you know, the jump from first to second team will give me like a, a scene that a player, uh, um, could have taken the ball into this space. He didn't do it because he took it with his left foot for me, for example, this goes into both areas. Right. So this is one of those things we're talking about orientation to be able to take a first touch forward. Which foot are you are you are you offering and how are you making the first touch forward? This is technical and it's tactical. So we would then go into the, into the situation. OK, this is what you should have done. We recreate the situation. And we find an exercise where we can maybe give him, uh, you know, 75 repetitions where we can get them to success. So 75 is a little is a lot. We'll say 75 over a week period. Um, yeah, and that's basically, I think, how you want to, we go deeper into uh, what I actually do as a job. Mm. Context-wise, then, is it, is that is there work on video as well? Do you, do you oh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
everything's always done on video. Yeah, we have uh, at, at Stuttgart, which is one of the things I find really cool is that all of the training sessions, first of all, are, are um, automatically live recorded. So you can always go back to a training session and say, hey, um, in this exercise, you did this, this, this. Let's show him, pull it up, and then you can do an exercise for the next day to make that better. But also the games are always um, are always recorded and uh, everything's on video. Everything's on video. That's one of the th cool things I think about modern technology is that I feel like football is the, the, the way that we can put a training session together and improve a player is definitely better because of the technology that we have in that regard. How much how much does the player then almost not lead themselves, but kind of as a player reviewing their own performance as well? Is there a two-way dialogue? That's a great question. That is a great question. And that's one of those, that's, that's a question that I've also had with, um, with, with the coaching staff uh, in all of the, in all of the teams. I mean, even with the first team, I've talked about the first team coach with this. Um, you know, you, you, you can't make the player go through the door that you give him. Um, that, that either comes, comes, you know, from, from, from itself or it doesn't. Um, the players are always given the ability to see the, the, what they did wrong. When I, when I do like shooting exercises for, for striking the ball properly, I always give the player the examples when he did good, when he did well, if he looks at it, that's up to him, you know, but most of the time is like, uh, I, I would say 50% of the players use the opportunity, um, to watch their own training sessions or the 50% is also being generous. And I can't, I can't ex explain why I, I, I don't know, but it's one of those things that as a coach, you, you only look and you say, okay, this is something that I think I could help the player with. Let's send it to him. Um, but it's quite ra rare that the players do that on their own. Do you have the same philosophy then from, from technique? Like how open are you to someone just doing something that is more comfortable, but maybe looks a little off? Every, every human body is different, Right. Um, that's, that's also a really great question. You know, there's, uh, there, there's some players that, for example, uh, they have a different shooting technique because you know how the human body is built. There's different people that there's some people that, um, I don't know how you say it in English. I've been speaking German too long that the feet go out, right? So you have like some people that are, that are feet out. You have some people that are feet a little bit straight. You have some people that feet go in. Yeah. So, um, usually when a player is, you know, feet out, it's going to look a little bit awkward when they're striking the ball where their toes are going to be up a little bit. And, you know, it's, they're not going to be able to make perfect contact with the, with the, with the instep. It's going to go a little bit from the inside. So, you know, those are things that you let slide because it doesn't look, you know, orthodox, but what's then really orthodox. Cause it basically, if it's, if it's clean and they can do it consistently, I could care less what it looks like. Right. And that's one of those things. If you can have a player say, okay, I'll play a, you know, a driven ball across the field with my toe. If he can do it, you know, if he can do it and he can do it consistently with quality, then nobody's going to say anything. And that's, that's where it comes down to it. It's just, it's not really, what does it look like? Is it, is it effective? Is it, and can you do it consistently and under pressure? That's basically for me, the most important. And that's to find how the player has to move, you know, because again, one of the things I find also really interesting is we're talking about outside of the feet, you know, some players that they, they, uh, we say to the players, you shouldn't play with the outsides of your feet, or you should. Those players that I was talking about, that they're naturally, their feet go in a little bit. Those are the players that are naturally more inclined to make the first pass with their outside of the right foot instead of with their left. 
you look at like a Quaresma or something like that. I can't imagine that they were telling Quaresma when he was at, uh, yes, yeah, Sporting. He was at Sporting. I can't imagine they told Ricardo Quaresma when he was at Sporting, hey, you should stop crossing with the outside of your right foot, right? I mean, but Ricardo Quaresma could cross better with the outside of his right foot than most players could cross with their left foot if they're left footed. So it comes down to one of the things I think as a coach, you also have to respect the, the body structure of your players, the, the, the DNA of your players, how the, the culture of the players um, to try to, you know, take out their, to have them be able to show their strengths. Ball striking, something that's, that's fascinating. It seems to be, I saw there was a, a couple of exercises on your video and you were actually like almost freezing. Yeah. Kind of I, I, I love training, uh, training this. I, this is one of my favorite things to, to train with the players because I've done this for ages now. Um, I talked, I talked about my, my mentor who was, uh, he, he still lives there in South Florida. He was the, one of the under 15 coaches at Manchester United for quite a few years. This was back in the seventies. He retired in Florida, uh, met me when I was 11 years old and started training me. And, uh, he was an expert in striking the ball. And again, I've been always fascinated by this how you can strike a ball properly and things like that. And what, what are the, what are the biomechanics, what are the mechanics of it? Uh, so I've been studying this for a really long time. And I love this subject because it's one of those things that you can give a player an impulse in one or two weeks that can improve his, his confidence and performance as a player by five to 10%. And it's just because the players don't really know and they're not aware of how they're striking the ball. Right. Um, and, if they change one or two slight things they can get a much cleaner strike. And now if you're a player, right. And you know that you have an absolute cannon on your right foot and you can shoot from 45 from 40 yards and it doesn't move. It just, you know, goes right. It's going to change how you're going to be moving on the field. Yeah. You're going to be looking to shoot much more often. You're going to be looking to make more offensive actions much more often. Um, and imagine if you know, you can have that from the left foot as well. Um, when you're talking about an offensive player, this is just, you know, completely different. And so what I do with the players is then I'm, the reason I'm putting the, the foot on the ball or the ball on the foot, as you'd want to say, you're trying to find the biggest area of the foot, which is um, the instep. So it's like a little bit turning towards the inside. And we're just trying to find his perfect striking points for the ball and for the foot. And then it comes down to keeping his toes down, to keeping his foot ankle locked, having his knee over the ball. And then I'm just basically simulating the movement. So it's like, he's going up to strike and he's stopping. I'm putting it on his instep. So he's feeling where he's supposed to strike the ball going forward. So he's making his run and you're just continuing this over and over and over again until eventually um, his brain recognizes, okay, this is the right movement, what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and what I was saying was, it's my favorite is because you can, this is probably one of the only things in football where you can see an improvement within like 30, 30 to 40 minutes. And the player can see the improvement also. I can't really think of anything else in football where you can say it's similar to golf, right? If you go to a golf instructor who really knows what he's talking about and you think you're doing everything right, he'll give you like one or two little points and you're going to say, oh my gosh, I, I feel it, it's, it's like I have a new swing yeah? and you've got a new, you, you feel different. Your energy is different. You have more confidence. And that's one of those things that if you can really change the way a player strikes the ball, because that's his bread and butter. Um, you can really see a, a, a very big improvement in a very short amount of time. Hello, coaches. We'll take a quick break here. The new Modern Soccer Coach book detail is out now. If you enjoy 
this podcast if you've listened to it for a while and you'd like to support us you're gonna love this book all my takeaways from all these interviews over the past three years and this is what i think is really important where all of these takeaways and lessons where they all work in day-to-day football how to connect all the dots between psychology and science and leadership and management and culture and we've got a chapter on every one of those we've also got a chapter on social media and how to manage all the information we're getting every single day as a coach so love putting it together please go ahead get your copy modernsoccercoach.com slash shop thank you yeah i was listening to an interview uh with jonathan woodgate a couple of weeks yeah. ago on uh on open goal with Simon Ferry and, and the boys were laughing because they, they were asking him about training with Stevie Gerrard and they yeah. said that they heard that when Stevie Gerrard kicks the ball it sounds differently from yeah, of course it does. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, that's one one of the things is that uh, when when you strike the ball properly, you don't even feel it really. You know, it's like one of those, you know, every player knows when you strike a volley yeah, and you strike it perfectly. You don't even feel it on your foot. Mm. And when you strike a ball perfectly, you know, that's what it's supposed to be like, where you don't even feel it. And the sound is just completely different. The sound mm-hmm. is different when it hits your instep. And it just, it's, it's just more like a boom. You know, it's not like one of these, just not, it's not like a foot hitting a ball. It's more like the, the, you feel like it's like his body hitting the ball kind of. It's, it's hard to explain, but I agree with that 100%. I, it is a funny, uh, fascinating topic. I, I went to uh, Cincinnati as an yeah. assistant coach, I work with a guy called Nate, Nate Lee. Um, okay. who, who's really, really good. And I remember him saying to me, I was a, an average at best soccer player, but okay. very, very good first touch because okay. I did a lot of individual work. Yeah, yeah. All I could do was control the ball. But he, he came up, he said to me, I was watching you kick around yesterday. He said, you've, you've got an awful bad, you're an awfully bad striker of a ball. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? And he, and he, he said, strike a ball there. And like, he was, he was completely right. Yeah. And I started thinking, unfortunately, this was 15 years after I finished playing. Well, I yeah. started thinking about it. Here, why don't we talk about this more often in coaching? No, no, that's that's one of those things that, you know, I I, I can say that's why I have no hair because I'm always pulling my hair out about this subject. But I, I had this the other day and, I, and it was it was one of those things where it's like, I, I okay, let, I don't want to use Stuttgart as an example. So let me use Nuremberg as an example, right? So when I was, because I'm not at Nuremberg anymore. So I was, I was at Nuremberg and I can't even tell you how many players I've had at Nuremberg. They come from Bayern Munich, from Bayern Munich. So all the way through youth in Bayern Munich and they still don't know how to strike a ball properly. And when I say strike ball properly, I mean clean where it's not, it's not spitting. It's just going straight in. Um, it's one of those topics that is some, for some reason it's taboo. And I don't know why, because it's, if the ball goes in the goal, nobody talks about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's, it, you know, he scores goals. But, you know, I've, I've come across it many times that players, they don't know how to strike. Well, I say strike a ball. And they're using their inside of their foot to strike the ball. I say, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? I've, I've trained with players that come from PSG's academy and they can't strike the ball with their, with, with their instep. So this is not just a German thing. It's not just an American thing. It's a worldwide thing. And I don't know why. Um, because at the end of the day, I thought the most important thing is to be able to score goals. And that's a pretty good way to score a goal, if we're being honest, you know? Well, um, using the golf analogy, it's you're you're hitting the ball. And even for yeah. even for like a John Terry's range of power, right foot, left foot, is a yeah. center back going big. Yeah. It's so important. But yeah, yeah. But but that's the that and that's the that's where I found my niche as well. Um doing also like because it's 
the, the same, it, I wouldn't say it's the same, but I'm really good at training players to strike the ball and training players to play, to play um, driven balls. Um, those are the things I love to do is just make, it, gives, it makes me happy to, to, to work on these things. And it's quite similar because it's this, it's a, it's the same part of the foot you're using to make contact of the ball, but it's the different body structure to it. So like if you're playing a, uh, a driven ball in regard, as opposed to a striking a ball, playing a driven ball, you're standing legs a little bit farther uh, from the ball. Your, your, your hips are going to be going out a little bit more. You're going to try to get your inside of the foot uh, a little bit parallel to the, to the, to the ground. So you're getting a bigger, uh, bigger area to, to, to get it. And when you're striking a ball, it's pretty much the opposite. You're standing legs going a little bit more closer to the ball, your knees over it and your foot's a little bit more vertical, but the part of your foot that you're using is the same. Um, and that's why I find those two subjects really quite interesting because it's there are two things that players very rarely can do perfectly and consistently. And there are two things that very often get looked over because I think that coaches are usually giving the wrong, giving the wrong feedback. How many times I've, I, I've heard, keep your body over the ball when you're shooting, for example. Which is which is which is okay. Why are you saying that? Because when you keep your body over the ball, the ball doesn't go, you know, the ball doesn't go up. We want to keep the ball down. We want to, don't want to shoot over the over the goal. Okay, so now you've kept it, so it's not going over the goal, but it's still not clean. So you know, you're talking about mo mo most of it is, you know, if your toes go up, the ball's going to spin. If your toes stay down and your ankles locked, and you and and you and you you know, you're getting it with the right part of the foot, the ball's not going to move. But these are the subjects they don't even get touched on, because we're looking at completely different other aspects at it. And that's the reason why I think that um, it gets lost in translation when it comes to improving players on, on, on this aspect. So what you're saying there is that if they, they can still lean back, they got to get yeah. their, knee, their knee over it more. And you, you, you can, you can lean back if you want, you can lean back as far as you want. Um, it's actually, it's going to be quite difficult to lean back and still strike the ball properly. Yeah. Um, when we're talking, but most of it, if you see Ronaldo striking a ball, his body's almost straight up, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, immediately, if you watch Ronaldo striking a ball, everything you've ever heard of when they say, put your body over it and stay over it is gone. So how does Ronaldo do it? Um, if you look at how he strikes the ball, when, when he's, before he's making contact, right? His knee is over the ball, right? So that's one of, one of the things that is basically your body's going to be over the ball if your knee's over the ball, but that's easier to, it's more easier to pay attention to your knee being over the ball than your, you know, complete, complete body over the ball. Um, the other thing is that, you know, ankle is locked, you know, so you don't have a floppy foot. If you have a floppy foot, basically think about a floppy foot hitting a ball. It's not going to be a clean contact. You got to have a solid foot. And the other thing is following through. If you can, those are basically the building blocks. If you can get those, the ball is going to look pretty good doesn't really have that much to do with staying your body, keeping your body over the ball. But I've never heard a coach tell to a player, you know, if you're going to shoot land on your, on your shooting leg, that's, a, that's probably one of the most important parts about striking a ball. Cause if you think about it, if you strike, if you, if you're striking a ball with your right foot and you swing, right. And you don't jump through and land on your right foot. If you just strike it with your right foot and swing, your leg goes up. If you didn't get good contact on the ball, the ball 99% of the time is going to go up. Because the contact is too is too quick, but if you're striking it and you're landing on your, let's say I'm striking with my right foot and I'm landing on my right foot, that increases the amount of time that I'm actually on the ball with my instep, right? 
So I'm, I'm, I'm gliding it with me. So it, um, automatically, if I'm striking and I'm landing on my right foot, I'm able to more control the ball where, where, where it's going to be going. If you're going for power, then you're doing it wrong, you know, because if you're getting it with the right technique, then there, there, there's a very limited amount of power that you need to, to be able to, you know, have the ball travel at a very, very ridiculous high speed. Um, when it comes down to then using the inside of your foot, that's a completely different technique. We're talking about now just using straight up instep. And that's why I, I try to just couple instep with uh, also shooting and, and, and playing those, those driven balls because it's the same part of the foot. When it goes down to it, when I train players, I usually try to stay with a certain foot part of the foot. So if I'm uh, um, using, if I, I would stay with passing and receiving because it's pretty much the same part of the foot and the same uh, mechanical structure of the body. If you look at a player making a pass, it looks quite similar to when he's receiving. Um, and that's why when I do the training sessions, I try to make it first, okay, today we're only going to be using the insides of the feet or today we're only going to be using the, 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 ma the main point of the session is going to be the instep. So that could be either striking a ball, it could be uh, playing a driven ball, it could be receiving the ball with your instep. But you, I try to go usually on parts of the foot rather than today we're going to be doing passing because you can also shoot with your inside. Yeah, you can you can play a, a driven pass on the ground with your instep. You can play a lofted ball with your instep. You know, you can cross the ball with your instep. Um, and I found that it's much more easier for the players to, 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 how you say in German, say greifen, and, and to, to, to grasp it, to grasp what you're trying to teach. If they, you just break it, break it down to like the foot parts instead of subjects. So you'd say, right, today we're, we're working on, because we, we are programmed to pick the yeah. top rather yeah. than yours, right? Wow. That's, that's really interesting. I have like, like a, like a, um, like a paper that I made when I was at Nuremberg where I took, um, the foot and I put, took each different part of the foot and ball and each different parts of the ball. So, and I broke it down to like, so in a certain training session, you, with the focus would be inside of the foot, middle of the ball, for example. And that would be basically just like trying to get a really hard pass quality on the ball. And so this is just passing and receiving. And then we're saying, okay, today we're going to be working on not only inside of the foot, middle of the ball, inside of the foot, outside of the ball. So that's also not only making a first touch, making a pass, but also then getting on the side of it, being able to then push it across to, to another player with spin on it. And that also incorporates striking and it also incorporates crossing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the, the more detailed you try to go into it, the more, um, the quicker you can try to uh, have the players improve my, uh, from what I've seen. And how do you get that balance right? Or how do you manage the balance between improving someone and focusing on, you know, making strengths even better? Also a very, very good question. And that's one of the things that, uh, that, I'm trying to think of what I can actually say that it's not going to get me in trouble because we talk about this a lot at Stuttgart. So at Stuttgart, but it's one of the reasons why the, the director convinced me to come to Stuttgart because uh, just the way that he's looking at his approach to developing players, I, I, I agree with it 100%. And it was one of those things that I could just um, say, okay, th this, is, this, is, this is what I believe in. This is my stuff. And what it comes down to is the way that we evaluate players and also look at players and then not only evaluate them, but then determine what we're going to do for training. So what it comes down to, we talk about, does the player have a weapon? And then what is a weapon? So 
it, to play at the highest level, you need to have something um, spectacular. And it doesn't matter what that is. It could be your speed. It could be your aggressiveness. It could be, could be your vision. It could be you can jump really high. I, I don't know. But you have to have something that you can do on a world-class level. It doesn't matter how small it is. And then it comes down to that one little thing that you can do on a world-class level. What can we do to your game to make that one little thing bigger and to, to emphasize that? So it basically comes down to it. If you have a player who's world-class when it comes down to his, uh, his speed, but only on a short distance. So then it comes down to it. Okay. Instead of training his weaknesses, what can we do to train him so that he can use these five meters? So that would basically what it comes down to. And, and it, it's totally, totally gone from, from strength and weaknesses. So strength and weaknesses is one of those things. Yeah. You can work on both. You're making the strengths even stronger. You can make the weaknesses. Uh, you can't really make the weaknesses better, but you can try to like make them not noticeable, you know, um, at a certain age. Um, but really what it comes down to is assessing what the player has for his ridiculous ability. Cause everybody, if they're, if they're getting to a high level, right. If you're talking about a player who can, you know, get into the um, Bundesliga Academy or a top player from the national team for the youth, he's got something, he's got something. And the question is, what is that? And then identifying what that is and then putting him into like a, a, a pathway where, you know, his career can flourish based on that weapon that he has. That's um, what it comes down to. And, I, and that's what I've always done. And, and it was cool to find somebody and find a club or at least a director from the club who also thinks in that way. Um, and that's, you know, why, uh, why I'm there and why I enjoy doing the work there. But that's how we do it. It's not really um, strengths and weaknesses because, like I said, strengths and weaknesses only can take you really so far um, when it comes down to individual training. What can the U.S. learn from German youth development? Honestly, I think the U.S. is on a really good way. I, I've been a fan of U.S. national team and U.S. soccer <laughs> since, I, since I could walk. Um, the U.S. had a really good uh, generation when the under-17 national team first started in Bradenton, Florida. I grew up in Florida, so I was around, the, um, I was around that atmosphere the whole time. You had like a Landon Donovan, Demarcus Beasley. You know this this team we had in the 2002 World Cup was on a really good world standard. We were developing really good players, um, really good individual players. A lot of players that were playing in Germany and making an impact. Um, then we had a little bit of a, of a of a letdown where I think we were making it a little bit too complicated. You know, you had this developmental academy or whatever it was called. I don't really know. Um. And, and in that way, in that time, I think Germany was just on a, on a different planet. But I'm seeing a trend in Germany, especially where they're looking for young American players because they have something different. They offer something different that the German player doesn't offer. Um, and I would say that basically, if I think if I think if we're going in the same way that we're going in the United States and we keep going that way, it's going to be successful. I, I wouldn't really say that there's anything that we can learn from Germany because at the end of the day, we're, um, you know, this is American soccer. There's two different cultures, two different. I think if you try to take what the Germans do and makes them successful, I don't think it's going to translate properly. 
and that's and that's the reason why when American players come to Germany, they're so interesting because they think different because they're 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 developed in a different environment. So they're 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 um, approached with the same situations that a German player would have in the same predicament, but they make a different decision. And that's the reason why they're interesting. And that's why I would say, I don't know if saying, okay, we're going to develop the players in the German way would even make sense because the reason why they're interested is because they're developed in their environment. I think there's things, certain ways that certain things that United States could do to develop a better player, but I wouldn't say that they should be learning from Germany. I would say, you could be learning from 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 all of them. So you're saying there that there's a higher demand now for U.S. players in Germany. Absolutely. You, you see, you see it. You see in Augsburg. Uh, I think they bought a kid for for 15 million. Um, you 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 have a feeling that every German club thinks they're going to be able to find the next Christian Blissich or uh, or Giovanni Reina. And the, the, these 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 players are are interesting because, like I said, they're they're making different decisions than the than the German players would make. They're making different decisions than the French players would make. They're, um, and and they have different qualities. They're, that's also one of the things they have different qualities. And you and you look when you're building a team, you want to have different kind of qualities. You want to have different kinds of impulses. And the American player, when he's at his peak, you know, like uh, a Clint Dempsey or something like that, they have these certain qualities that. I don't care what what uh, academy you come out of. It's very difficult to develop a Clint Dempsey in Germany. You know, he's just got something else in him. Is that a mentality? Yeah, I I, I would say that the American mentality is is good when it when it translates. Uh, well, well, okay. I know people are probably going to say yeah, this that's bullshit, but when it comes <laughs> down to be when it comes down to being a competitor, when it mm. comes down to the competitive nature of being an athlete and wanting to win. And being a, a winner, a competitor, I think that America still has an advantage over most of them because of the culture. We grew up in this culture. If you don't win, <laughs> you're a loser. You know, it's 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 just uh, you know this never say die mentality. This always positive thinking. If I miss the next, if I miss this one, I'll get the next one. Yeah, if I miss the next one, I'll get the next one. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes the American. Uh, uh, interesting when it comes down to the rest of the world because the rest of the world just doesn't think like that yeah that's fascinating because you wouldn't again if you american coaches over here think yeah. that think that tactically they're miles away and also there's a, there's a real well, they, they are they are but it's not their fault either um mm -hmm. and you know it, they're tactically farther away and they're tactically all are miles away i'd say probably only miles away outside of the MLS academies, I would say in the MLS academies, I've seen a good trend of players coming from MLS, MLS academies here that they do quite well tactically. They're, they, they look good. But the thing is, is that their, their environment is not good enough to even have these tactical situations available for them to improve. Um, you know, I don't even think a player in the United States at a certain level would even know if we're building the ball up out of the back and, and, and we have a back four and they're pressing us with two. That means that the two outside backs, they don't even need to go anywhere. We're just playing a two against one. These are things that in Germany or somewhere else, the, the level's high enough that their environment's high enough that they know this, it's automatic. But in the United States, I don't think the, 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 the quality of, as a whole is, is, is good enough where they would, have, they would even be required to have this tactical understanding because how could they? What about game days? What what are you doing game days? Is that day off for you? No, it's it's different. It's different. Um, at, at at Nuremberg, I was always uh, luckily 
when I was at when I was in Nuremberg working with first team, it was um, home games in the stadium, away games. Luckily, training the players that are not in the squad. I mean, because that's that's a lot easier. At Stuttgart, game days are a little bit more complicated because I'm basically uh, responsible, or my my main area which I move in is the under 17s, under 19s, under 21s, and uh, the young players in the first team. So that basically means. I'm always watching games on the weekend, but luckily not as a coach, more as a, um, I, I just have to watch the games from the side because it's the players that I'm working with on a daily basis. And I appreciate that much more. That's one of the things that I really like doing. I don't like, I never liked game days because you never, it's what game days is for me. You don't really have a lot of control, you know, training, you have control training. You can, you can do a little thing, but games days is one of those things. That's why I like it just watching. I just like it now. We're just watching from a developmental aspect, seeing are they doing good things, are they doing bad things, but to actually watch the game and hoping for the win so that you can stay in your job and you don't have to move, um, this is a, a, a little bit more stressful. And it, obviously it's more exciting, but it's 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 a little bit more relaxing to to watch a game and just to be able to watch a player and just, just watch that player the whole game without having to worry about them winning the game or not. I'm the exact same. It's my least favorite day of the week. Oh, I, I, I've always hated it. Um, yeah. Even when I was a under-19 coach here in the amateur level, and I was under-13 head coach uh, at Greiterford in the youth Bundesliga, the, 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 the game days were, for me, the worst. Because it's, it's just one of those things, you know, you can have the best training week in the world. The players are in the best shape. They're... Everything's perfect. Even the warm-up, the players look amazing. Hey, we might win this game 10-0. The whistle starts, and you have no control of uh, if your right defender uh, has diarrhea or not. I don't know. And, then you know, it's just one of those things that you just have so little control over, and you just have to put your 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 hope in the in the players that, that on that day they're in good form. And I just, I just didn't like it. It's too much of a stressful situation, especially imagine if your job rides on it, you know. So that's uh, quite difficult. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, last couple here for you, data. Yeah. What what type of work do you, do you do? Any work with data? Do you incorporate that in your work? Yeah, yeah. But data, data, I find really interesting. And uh, our first team coach says it all the time. Data is interesting depending on what you do with it. Um, I find it really interesting to incorporate match data um, into the amount of training that we've done on a certain subject. And one of the things I found like, for example, really interesting is in Germany, we have like um, Y scout and all that stuff where they're sending out all of the info. I mean, and Y scout sent, sent us the, the information for the second team. And uh, the, the information for the second team was that like, uh, we do a lot of passing with the second team because it's more of like a, a developmental team instead of like a team that's looking for results. The goal is to make as many players professional as possible not to, to, to win as many games as possible. So we look at like the data that we get from, for like the first six months of the season and in the table, we don't really look at the table, but in the table, when it comes to the team with the highest passing percentage was VfB Stuttgart. So then it's like, okay, the passing is working, but then we look on where are the passes? That's the question. So when you look at the highest percentage of the passes were back and sideways, so then it comes down to, okay, so we need to then work on more 
what are we going to do to always have the players be turning and playing forward? That's that's going to be the next thing. So we improved that we're making more passes, We but now we have to want to work on making passes forward. The other thing comes down to it, um, I like statistics when it comes down to where on the field are the players moving the most um, because when it comes down to what player, to, what position does a player play, you can just look on the map and say, okay, listen, uh, or what play, what position should a player play? If we're talking about uh, a number 10, when we have a heat map and you see the heat map is always, he finds himself on the right side of the half space, for example. Yeah. And you see, he's very, very successful on this side. That maybe means, okay, we should probably play like a, um, you know, a four-one-four-one, so we have two number eights. Because if that's his position, we need to go in this way. And that's one of the things where I feel like if you have data, it's really interesting to incorporate it, but it's not good to get lost in it. And I find that we do get lost in it in Germany when it comes down to, you know, looking at how much did the team run, how many sprints did the team have. Um, these are good numbers, but it's also uh, without context, it's almost impossible to to use these to you know, try to make your training session or try to make your players better. Yeah, well, you were chatting earlier about how busy you were and all the, the sessions throughout the day. Do, yeah. do, you have any, do you have any time to sit and have coffees with players and, and, and kind of connect with them? Yeah, um, I try. I try to do that. Most of the connection I have with the players is on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do a lot of, you, you know, you do a lot of talking through the sessions, uh, in between the sessions to to there's too many players that I train to be able to have like a coffee with them. I, I, I'd say like uh, when I was working in Nuremberg, yeah. When I was working in Nuremberg, I, I would say I had more of an individual uh, relationship off the field, N- not really off the field <laughs> in football, but off the field uh, of, of training. Right now at Stuttgart, it's quite impossible to do that. I'm on the field from about 8.30 until uh, – you know, 8.30 in the morning until like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So when we're talking about on the field, I mean like one team, next team, next team, next team, next team. And then you have the second session from the second team and then the second session from the first team. So it basically comes down to it that there's no time in the day to uh, have this this individual time with the players, which is unfortunate, but, you know, not every job is perfect. That time then, I mean – with such a, a job that's again so busy, professional football mad, but then also yeah. like it's it's at the cutting edge, you know, you're how do you keep yourself fresh? How do you keep yourself ahead of the game in terms of ideas and inspiration? Stuff like you that you've got going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, um you know, I'm I'm constantly watching football even when I'm not uh uh, on the field, um, watching football, looking at what's going on. You know, you 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 come to a point where you just become obsessed with it. It's not even a job anymore. It's not even a passion anymore. It's just who you are. <laughs> you know, it just defines you in that aspect that you just you have football inside of you. And uh, the more you work in football, the more you have di- different experiences. And you know, like what I find really interesting is that in the beginning, when I first really started getting into coaching, when I was around like 14, 15 years old, putting together a little session for us for, for a camp or something, you look on the internet to find ideas, right? When you get to a certain point, you watch a game and you get ideas from the game because you see how the game's developing in certain aspects. And you say, okay, 
this could be done better. Could I make my players do this? And you, you have your ideas just from watching. And I guess you have to have enough sessions to go through it, but I haven't watched another training session in a really long time and took an idea from it. It's mostly just from the experiences you have watching games and then basically just trying to think of something new. And I'm fortunate enough that at the club that I work at, there's also a lot of freaks that uh, are very into, you know, improving themselves and, and, uh, you know, you, you walk through the hallways and you see somebody and then you end up having a conversation for 30 minutes about some kind of new training stuff that he's doing. And uh, that's uh, a blessing to have to work, to work with people that are also in, in that way because you feel like you can improve yourself as well um, even quicker. So that that's basically what I was saying. There's no real uh, – nowadays there's no real um, source to the uh, – to the to the inspiration it's more the people around me and the, the game itself do you think in 10 years or or, or in, in the future there's going to be a uefa individual coach or a ussf individual coach license yeah probably i mean they've you know 10 years ago if you would have told me that there would have been an official uh fitness coach license i'd probably say for what you know you know they have a uh, life kinetic they have an official license for that now i think it's just a matter of time because whenever there's something that is interesting people always try to monetize it so that's the first thing you want to be able to monetize it and you also want to be able to separate people from being able to do it so um you know that's one of those things where i know when i first started getting into coaching i was just I didn't understand why you needed so many so many licenses and so many badges to 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 be able to be recognized as a, as a proper coach. So I um, I imagine they're probably going to start making this into a license just so they can say that other people shouldn't be doing it because they're not licensed. Um, that's how the trend usually goes in fitness and in football, um, which is unfortunate because individual coaching is basically just anybody should be able to do it. Just make a player better. Here's the ball, go for it. Purest form of football, if you think about it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Last one. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, man, time goes by pretty quick when we're doing this. I got must have a question. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure there's there's a lot of coaches in the US who wanna who wanna aspire and do what you've done. There's also a lot of coaches that just want to work in the professional game in general around the world. Yeah. What's your advice? F- yeah. Find out what kind of coach you are. Find out. Find out what you like, and then try to try to try to do that. That the thing that 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 I've always seen, I I can only speak from from my um, from my experience, is that I found out what I really liked doing in in football when it comes down to coaching, and that's that trying to make the player better. There's some coaches that really like just working on pressing. There's some coaches that just they just when they see their team pressing, it just gives them it just makes their heart race, and 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 it's one of those things that I think just find out what you like and what you're good at, and just go all in. Um, you know, there, there's like, again, every coach has that one thing that they really, really like working on. Just, 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 just go for it and go in. And it's, it's also um, the, the other part of advice is that, uh, you know, we always tell the players to be courageous and be ambitious and to, and to go for it. Same as a coach, man. You know what I'm saying? It's the same mentality. It's the same kind of culture. If you've got a goal and you want to go for it, then just go for it. Same way you would tell the players to do it. What a way to finish. Nate, phenomenal. Top class. Loved it. 
it, it, it was really an honor to be here and uh, and talk with you. And hopefully, it's, hopefully, I'm able to help somebody to inspire them and to, uh, you know, to help other players and make players better. I really appreciate this, Gary. It meant a lot for me to uh, be able to talk to you. Logic. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.